Over the weekend, Davao City Mayor Sara Duterte met with the son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos in Cebu. Described by Bongbong Marcos' lawyer as a beautiful co coincidence, the meetup was seen by many as a prelude to or a teaser to a possible alliance in next year's elections with Duterte wearing a green hoodie with the words Sara All 2022. But if indeed an alliance is in the works, why was it not announced there in Cebu, a province with 3.2 million voters? And how formidable would a Marcos Duterte tandem really be? To be part of our discussion, send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight is Professor Julio Tihanki, author of the study Clientelism and Party Politics in the Philippines. He's also a political science professor at De La Salle University. Good evening, sir, and thank you for joining us again on the program. Good evening, Christian. Thanks for having me. So, so a lot of people were talking about that meeting between Sara Duterte and the former Senator Bongo Marcos in Cebu. Right. There was no announcement that came after, but first let's talk about the, the optics of, of that meeting. What exactly did that tell you or suggest? Oh, well, uh, at this point, the terrain is indeed, uh, has indeed shifted, and uh, yet the country is still being treated to a uh, political striptease by the administration parties. No? So uh, that was uh, indeed a show of force. No? I mean, imagine uh, uh, having this high-level political meeting in Cebu, uh, one of the largest uh, vote, vote base in the country, and uh, uh, being with the governor of the province and the mayor of the city. And then you have these two uh, formidable uh, political entities having a beautiful coincidence. No? So, uh, of course, those of us who are uh, politically inclined uh, would, would read something deeper going on. So there's something afoot, and uh, uh, their body language and the optics no, would... would uh, would show, you know, would indicate that uh, an agreement is uh, up and coming between the two. And there might be really a, an alliance between these two political forces. Uh, but in terms of the realities that are seen on the ground, can they actually afford not to join forces in 2022? Meaning, for instance, Sara Duterte keeps her word not to run for any national position. And of course, right. Bongbo Marcos sticking to his presidential run. Can they afford to do that? Well, uh, the the political play that they can uh, they can make at this point, uh, without uh, Mayor Sara breaking her word about not running for the presidency, is for her to slide down and run for the vice presidency, and it makes perfect sense because uh, at this point, uh, 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 the age might have been uh, seniority uh, might have been invoked. Bongbong uh, uh, bong Marcos is already what sixty plus and. Uh, uh, he can't afford to wait for the uh, next presidential electoral cycle. So, and Mayor Sara is still young. And if this happens, and this is straight out of the playbook of uh, of uh, uh, then uh, uh, Vice President Era Estrada and Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo, you know, uh, they were really popular, uh, formidable candidates for the presidency, but they were smart enough to slide down to uh, second place, and they won, and they had their chance of winning the so uh, that's straight out of that playbook, and uh, it makes perfect political sense if uh, Mayor Sara Duterte would run for vice president. Okay. Now, in the case of uh, Ferdinand Bombo Marcos, can he afford to proceed with his presidential candidacy without Sara as his running mate? Can he win without uh, the Dutertes? 
uh, well, of course, uh, uh, as we have seen, no, uh, based on some internal surveys that I've seen, uh, Bongbong Marcos, no, and together with uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo, have apparently have received the biggest bounce from their declaration of candidacy. So by the mere fact of declaring uh, their intent to run for the presidency, uh, they received the biggest bounce among those who have declared so far. No? So uh, earlier, no, uh, before the filing, uh, it seemed that the ne next year's election would be a referendum on the six years of the Duterte administration. But with the candidacy of Bongbong Marcos, apparent apparently uh, it has now become a referendum on the three decades of the EDSA uh, democratic regime. No? So now uh, the narrative has shifted into that of a question between uh, the Marcos no? authoritarian regime versus the post-Marcos democratic regime, no matter how flawed it is. No? So uh, it, in short, it's a matter, it's a question of survival, no? political survival for the Marcoses and survival for Philippine democracy as we know it. No? Um, obviously, no, this is part of the capstone. No? This, um, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. running for the presidency and having this chance of getting going back to Manapanya would be the capstone uh, in this three decades quest of rehabilitating the Marcos brand that included uh, historical revisionism and persistent social media propaganda. Okay, now another basic question. Why did we come to this? More than 30 years ago, Filipinos ousted the dictator. Of course, the estimate was more than, or at least $10 billion. Nakaw na yaman. Ninakaw na mga Marcoses. Yet, in the 2022 elections, 50 years since Ferdinand Marcos officially yeah. became a dictator by declaring martial law, you said the elections would basically be a referendum of the past three decades. Why did we right. come to this? Yeah, uh, so what we are seeing did not happen overnight. No? This is a cumulative effect of the vestiges of authoritarianism that the past administrations have failed to expunge from our, our political system. No? Uh, well, first of all, uh, our transition to democracy actually involved uh, personalities who were uh, enablers of the Marcos dictatorship. No? So uh, since uh, the victory at EDSA uh, was won with some of the former allies of the dictator, uh, in the restoration towards democracy, the process of transitional justice uh, uh, did not happen. No? Unlike in uh, other countries that underwent uh, periods of uh, authoritarianism or dictatorship, uh, just like South Africa. No? So we did not go through that process of transitional justice in which those who committed crimes against the nation, against the country, were held to account before and they were uh, served justice before they moved on. No? So okay. that was the important prerequisite. Transitional justice, a very important concept. But of course, I suppose that is very hard to grasp for ordinary Filipinos unless you actually make it work, di ba? Well, sa, sa karaniwang mamamayan, no, uh, ang, ang pagpapatawad ay may karapatang uh, paghingi ng, uh, ng patawad. No? Uh, 
at uh, dapat uh, ituwid yung mga pagkakamali at kasalanan sa bayan. Unang-una, napatunayan na, na bilyon-bilyon ang minakaw sa kaban ng bayan. No? Nasaan na yung kayamanan? Diba? So hindi mo pwedeng ang kasalanan ng ama ay kas- hindi kasalanan ng anak. Kasi ang anak ang tagapagmana ng kayamanan ng ama na minakaw sa bayan. Okay. Now, let's talk about corruption as an issue. Um, it's yes. simply a case of most of Filipino vote of the Filipino voters not caring about corruption. Wala, walang pakialam tayo na kahit ninakawan tayo ng mga politiko, oh. ng mga leader natin, we don't really care. But on the other hand, I'd like to put context into this seemingly simplistic question. But how right. come in 2010, corruption was a big campaign issue? In 2016, right. when President Duterte ran, he did not only run under the platform of crime, peace and order. Right. He also said he would right. root out corruption. Bakit right. nung dalawang electoral cycles na yun, very important, it seemed, to Filipinos, yes. the issue of corruption. But now, how come majority okay. of the voters, at least based on those surveys that you mentioned, are going for a for the scion okay. of a family with a proven track record on ill-gotten wealth? Well, it's again, no, uh, going back to number one, no, uh, we did not go to transitional justice. Then let's go to the second reason why we have reached this point. No? And that is the failure uh, to institute political reforms that will properly consolidate our democracy. No? So since uh, day one, our politics, while we have restored democracy, it's a low-quality democracy. It's a flawed democracy. It's a democracy of political dynasties and party switching. And of course, this party switching and uh, uh, dynastic politics have led to monopoly of power, and monopoly of power leads to corruption. No, and uh, I think uh, that is the primary reason uh, why, uh, despite the promise of matuwid na daan at kung walang korap walang mahirap or tunay na pagbabago, uh, the people, the ordinary uh, voter, have tuned out of uh, politicians claiming to be anti-corruption. Uh, no? So this kind of uh, desensitization, this, is that a word? <laughs> that that uh, uh, namanhid na, no? namanhid na ang taong bayan sa mga taong nagsasabing uh, laban sila sa korupsyon. Dahil alam ng taong bayan na ang korupsyon ay naging normal na, na parte ng ating politika at halala. Okay. And how, you, how do you also explain the extreme swing of the pendulum? That after the 1986 revolution, of course, there are a lot of failures, institutional institutional failures that were not uh, that were committed by the so-called Dilawansa. But even then, mm-hmm. despite those failures, why do you think majority or a good number of Filipinos are willing to swing back to the extreme, the very thing that they removed yeah. in 1986? Uh, well, I have written about this, no, and uh, one way to look at it is uh, from the perspective of political time. No? So we assess. Uh, Uh, presidents, not according to presidential administration, but we look at them as a collective, as part of a regime. So a regime is a collection of different presidents. And that dominant regime has a dominant regime narrative, which uh, every president either supports or contradicts. No? And it happened, uh, there is a cycle. No? Uh, if, it, if it happens that there is a cycle, at one point that regime is quite strong. No? Like, for example, from our post-war uh, uh, regime, no? post-war uh, post regime from 1947 to 1972, 
that regime weakened and Marcos took advantage of that weakness and repudiated that regime. Hence, he established his own authoritarian regime, which eventually weakened in 1986. And now we have the EDSA regime. And what we're seeing right now is apparently a weakening of the EDSA regime narrative because of the failure, and this is a collective failure, to consolidate our democracy. So again, it's okay. that grievance politics, it's that uh, politics of anger, uh, and it is the the mood of the times no? uh, around the world, no? this uh, rise of populist and illiberal leaders. So, so do you think that makes the 2022 elections basically right for a Marcos to return to Malacanang, all things considered? Yes. Yes, uh, that is the that's the reality. No? If you're going to look at all indications, no? uh, it is going to be there's a big possibility that uh, uh, a Marcos Duterte tandem would eventually capture Malacanang this year. But of course, no, uh, it is not casting stone. No, yeah. and uh, there is such a thing as human agency our decision, our capacity to act as a people and as individuals. No? So while uh, at this point in time, no, they, are appar they, they apparently have the advantage, no? uh, we can see that uh, even, of course, uh, we can frame it this way. No? Uh, with this sudden uh, uh, strength no? in the Marcos brand, there is that parallel uh, uh, re energy uh, re, uh, revival no of the people power brand on the other end of the political spectrum no? so uh and this is uh, of course the explanation why when uh, bongbong marcos declared his candidacy no and then dp lenny robredo as the champion of the edsa narrative uh declared her own uh, candidacy and uh, based on the surveys that uh, internal surveys and uh, other surveys that I've seen, uh, these two uh, benefited from that. You know? So okay. the strength of the Marcos narrative uh, has re-energized also the strength of the EDSA narrative. Okay. Now, of course, you talked about the, the Marcos narrative, the Marcos brand. Let's talk about Bongbong Marcos as a candidate. Can he actually yes. stand on his own merits, on his own competence, on his own track record as a presidential candidate, setting aside the Marcos brand? Uh, well, of course, uh, on his own, he has his own political uh, track record. No, uh, Of course, uh, he served as governor, uh, he served as uh, congressman, he served as uh, senator, he almost won the vice presidency. So on his own, he has his own political acumen. Now, whether that political acumen is... Uh, uh, the kind of uh, leadership and skills that this country needs at this point in time, uh, especially when the country needs healing and the country needs unity, uh, that is, of course, uh, uh, that remains to be seen. No? Uh, one, one parallel that we can compare uh, our situation with is the situation with uh, uh, the, uh, the daughter of the South Korean President Park Chung-hee. No, uh, if you will recall, no, she was elected, no, uh, decades after the assassination of the dictator father, no, uh, she was elected president of South Korea. Uh, but of course, before she was elected, she asked for forgiveness for the sins of her father, no, and 
and the South Korean voters accepted the, her her apology and actually voted her to the presidency. But instead of uh, healing South Korean society, he got she got embroiled in a major uh, uh, graft scandal, no, corruption scandal. So that led to the downfall of her uh, okay. administration. So we can see that even if he wins, no, will he be able to unify and heal this country if he himself uh, do not he doesn't want to uh, acknowledge uh, uh, the the sins committed by his father so okay you, you, mentioned, you, you mentioned the south, the, the south korean experience but perhaps culturally and behaviorally they're quite different in terms of how they deal with their politicians but in this case no. in the philippines why do you think uh, we get the sense that um, Filipinos are willing to bet on this uh, Marcos uh, son, even without any semblance, any tinge of acknowledgement or apology over the atrocities and the ill-gotten wealth that they have. Uh, plain and simple desperation on the part of the people. Uh, a desperate people uh, who's been disappointed several times with so many so-called saviors and messiahs and leaders uh, who have failed to deliver them to the promised land would hold on to anyone and anything uh, in order to to hope you know, for a better future. So I think uh, because of, of course, a, a combination of factors, including uh, social media propaganda and, uh, of course, uh, 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 again, the lack of political education, uh, people are desperate, and this is an indication of desperation. So for uh, for the non-administration candidates, no, uh, they shouldn't treat this as politics as usual, no, because what is at stake is really uh, the future of Philippine democracy. So they should also recalibrate and rethink their options. Like how? Well, uh, of course, no. Uh, they should at this point, no, uh, undergo a process of introspection about uh, the the their chances of winning and uh, the possibility that if they remain united, uh, they even with their own base, even with their own personal strengths, uh, they will not be able to um, stop, no, a potential political juggernaut uh, if Marcos and Duterte. Uh, forces align with each other. So I think that's a that's a big uh, challenge, no, for the others to rethink their option. And until November 15, it ain't over. We haven't seen the the final uh, slate of candidates, and it is still possible for for a different uh, uh, several types of permutation. For example, the non-pink uh, uh, forces might reconsider no, and might join forces. Like, for example, they're all running under uh, uh, revived political parties like Promdi, Reforma, and Action Democratico. In 2004, there was a history of alliance among these three parties uh, called Alliance of Hope. No? So they can reconsider uh, that option of uh, joining forces. Or so even the pink forces, no, the EDSA forces, can also continue to reach out to the other non-administration candidates. Okay. So it's still possible. But when you talk about the non-pink forces, of course, you mentioned Reforma, no? you mentioned Action. So uh, 
when it came to their candidates, you're talking about Isko Moreno, Ping Lacson, at the very least. Right. No? So, so right. what exactly are we talking about here in terms of permutations and options? Do you think one should give way or what? What are the options, really? Uh, well, history has shown that uh, uh, it is it is within the imagination of a politician to give way and sacrifice uh, his or her own uh, uh, political uh, interests. No, we have seen this with Doy Laurel giving way to Cory Aquino, and we've seen this with Mar Rojas giving way to Noy uh, Aquino. So it's it's within the realm of political imagination. No, now whether they're willing, uh, you know, it's. It's up to them for as long as they keep their lines of communication open. And that same can, can be said with uh, Vice President Lenny, uh, who uh, should continue to reach out to these other persons. But, but as things stand, based on the current uh, crop of uh, presidential aspirants, do you think it would be safe to somehow think that a Marcos Duterte tandem would indeed be the team to beat in 2022, especially if on the other side or the other corners, you have Mario Pacquiao, Isco Moreno, Ping Lacson, Lenny Robredo, of course, you also have Yodi de Guzman. Well, <laughs> of course, if we remove all the political controversies, no, uh, plain and simple, a Marcos Duterte tandem would serve as the avatars of this administration. So they have the incumbency advantage. No. So they are the administration candidates, no? if, uh, if ever that tandem uh, pushes through. And then the rest will be uh, opposition or non-administration uh, non candidates. So uh, in the end, no, if the uh, non-administration candidates themselves would not, could that and would not decide, uh, in the end, it might be their supporters, uh, more specifically their financiers and their funders who will decide for them, whether they should go separately or but what really, what, what really makes a Marcos and Duterte tandem? What really makes that uh, formidable? The money, <laughs> billions of uh, uh, money, billions in the war chest of the Marcoses, no? And uh, uh, of course, he still maintains his uh, uh, regional bailiwick in uh, in the north, no? And uh, in some parts of the south, in Leyte, no? Combine that with the uh, the strength of the Duterte, Duterte's in Mindanao, and given the fact that you still have a residual popularity with the incumbent president despite all the controversy. So, and then the incumbency advantage of being in government. So if you combine all of these, these are indeed really uh, formidable and uh, a deadly combination. No? Uh, so uh, if, I hope, if I hope the, not literally. Uh, yeah, it, it tends... Yeah, it might be. No? So, <laughs> as history has shown, no? uh, it might be deadly, both figuratively and literally. Well, in this case, you mentioned deadly. Of course, you know the track record of the uh, Marcos uh, dictatorship. It's not, let's right. call a spade a spade. The Marcos dictatorship and, the, of yes. course, the Duterte regime or administration. Okay, So, what does this say about, um, about Filipinos? As voters, for instance, the fact that you have two closely related narratives or images, one was officially a dictatorship, the other is strongman, to use a lighter word, yet a possible combination between those two forces is considered as formidable. I mean, what does this say? Do we even actually care about our democracy? 
well, <laughs> uh, democracy, uh, well, first of all, it's not just the Filipinos. No? It's the Asian culture. No? And and democracy has ne- never found fertile so- soil in Asia, no? historically. No? Uh, so it's like a plant that needs to be uh, taken care of and watered and really uh, it, in order for democracy to do it. No? So, uh, but then again, I don't look at it from uh, an essentialist culturalist perspective. No? And I've always insisted that it is because of the way we conduct our politics, the way we do politics for as long. And let this be a reminder for everyone. For as long as we do not push for the necessary structural and systemic reform, uh, our democracy will uh, perish. And so this about, is already the indication. Okay, before we end, let's talk about this problem with the uh, elite democracy. You've written uh, yes. extensively about this. Uh, yes. It gave us a sense of why... So far, I've been uh, monitoring social media. It seems like the the, the criticism coming from uh, Marco supporters and Duterte supporters toward the likes of Lenny Robredo, for instance, well, elitista kayo masyado, no? But how come that particular narrative or criticism seem to, uh, seems to stick, but not to them? Hindi naman, <laughs> don't you consider the Marcoses as elitist also and the Dutertes? They're not exactly well, like- poor. It's like the billionaire Trump, no, uh, being the populist uh, candidate and eventually president of the United States, the bastion of uh, democracy in the world. No? Uh, it's it's actually uh, the uh, at the the heart of the populist narrative is the uh, empath, the so-called identification, the so-called authenticity. Of of course, we all know that this is smokes and mirrors, no, and uh, uh, it may or may not be true, no. But of course, uh, it's the it's actually the way even uh, uh, our our friends from the yellow and now pink you no know, uh, crowd you no know, the the dissent crowd they've been carrying themselves you no know, even on social media so they have a tendency to look down on people to call uh, to look down on people who does not necessarily share their their same uh, worldview you no know? so uh, it's an what general response. To undemocratic liberalism, you no, know? uh, you may have liberal individuals and politicians, and and yet their attitude is quite undemocratic because they look down on uh, those who do not share their world. How about this liberal democracy? Is this basically uh, as as it now appears has become acceptable to to Filipinos? pero willing to actually bend things here and there. Yeah, yan yung ano eh, yan yung tricky part sa democracy, no? Kasi ngayon, halimbawa, maraming may kursunada kay Bongbong Marcos at marami pa rin ang ang sumusuporta kay Pangulong Duterte. Eh mas nakakarami sila. 'Di ba ang essence ng demokrasya ay uh, essence of the majority, 'di ba? So, uh syempre, pag kinontra mo 'yon, parang kinokontra mo na rin yung essence of democracy. No? Pero yun ba yung klase ng demokrasya na inahangad natin? Kasi isang aspeto lamang yung, yung majority ng demokrasya. Marami pa yan. Representativeness, inclusiveness, equality, and so on and so forth. No? So, but yung plain and simple uh, democracy, mas marami kasi sila ngayon. Ang boto nandun sa side ng political spectrum na yun. No? At uh, mukhang naubos na dahil nga 
ang mga taong edukado, academic, yung mga nakakapagbiyay abroad, mga middle class, eh nandun lang sa kanilang echo chamber at mga uh, social media bubbles. No? So the trick here really is to understand, go out, and really engage the people, especially the undecided, no? in order for at least uh, uh, those fighting for the EDSA narrative uh, in order for them to have a fighting chance against this formidable alliance of the Marcoses and the Duterte's. Okay, Professor Julio Tihanki, thank you for joining us tonight, sir. Maraming salamat. We're going to take a quick break. After the fact, we'll be right back. <laughs> 